Hello and welcome again to another episode of Fikava Vet Chat. It's now the dark and cold time of the year and I thought mm, I take you to a really nice and hot place where one of our European colleagues has opened a clinic right in the middle of the desert, uh, nearly in the middle of the desert. So I would like to say hello and welcome to Katrin Jan in Abu Dhabi. Hello, Katrin. Hi, Wolfgang. Lovely to Hi. be here. <laughs> so nice to see you again. I should possibly sort of say I, I had the great pleasure when I attended the Middle East and African Veterinary Conference in, in uh, Dubai. I, uh, I had the opportunity to, to visit your clinic and I found it absolutely amazing. So, and I thought, come on, we must have a because there are, surely there will be a lot of other colleagues who, who might be interested in your lifestyle and sort of the way you, yeah, veterinary, where veterinary medicine has taken you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So tell me a little bit about, let's, 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 let's roll it a little bit back. So your personal journey into veterinary medicine, sort of your, your background, I mean, you, one, one can hear sort of you, It's not an uh, Anglo, no, well, Anglo-Saxon name. Well, it's it's not typical British name, <laughs> but yet sort of uh, well, just just fire away. Tell us a little bit about your background and uh, your journey into veterinary medicine. Sure. So I'm actually born and bred um, in Germany, um, so I am German. Um, but at the age of four years, we moved to the UK. So my my dad was. Um, posted for business to the UK and I basically spent my childhood years growing up in the UK so from age four to 19 um, and then at 19 um, I went back to Germany to Munich to start studying veterinary medicine there um, and I guess I knew probably from quite an early age I was an avid horse rider and we had lots of pets at home we had dogs mainly um, and I knew from quite early on that I wanted to be a vet so it it, it wasn't really a difficult decision to to go into veterinary medicine and I did that in Munich. Um, so that was 1993 to 99. So I qualified in 1999 from Munich and then moved back to the UK again where I did an internship at the Animal Health Trust um, for a year. And then I moved into general practice for a few years. I did um, an internship in anesthesia at Liverpool University. Um, and then I locum for a while in the UK And then my journey took me to Abu Dhabi. Yeah, so this that's that's a bit of interest for me also. Sort of this uh, um, this move from Germany to the UK. Then I mean, one would have assumed you 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 practice you study veterinary medicine in Germany, and then you go to the UK. What 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 made you do that? I mean. I, Obviously, I have a vested interest here, or I've, I, I did the same journey. But, but how, how did that happen for you? Why didn't you stay in Germany? Yeah, it's a great question. I think I always knew that I wanted to do an internship. Um, and they weren't really that available in Germany at the time. I think there are probably more opportunities now. But in 1999, it wasn't such a common thing. And it was something that I felt really strongly about. Um, because I did feel that when I left university, I possibly didn't have the level of practical knowledge that I would have liked. And I just felt that the, the internship gave me a really good foundation for, um, you know, having 
gaining practical experience, but under really good supervision. Um, and it just so happened that that position at the Animal Health Trust came up. I always had a bit of a pull back to the UK. I think, um, you know, having spent my sort of formative growing up years there, there's a strong connection to the UK, a lot of friends still there. So the move was quite a natural one for me, really. Yeah, that's interesting. I'm, in, in, in my case, it was more so that, I mean, I had no, no connection to the UK whatsoever, more actually to the Nordic countries, to specifically to Norway. But um, for me, it was so at the time then, um, there were more opportunities to work with companion animals only in the UK. And also, when I went over there, I was struck by a better... Um, uh, work-life balance than was on offer in, in Germany. And what I also found, I mean, this might, might, might be me, although I'm not so sure. So I also got the impression that there was better teamwork in the UK. I don't know. There was more the team approach. There was a, a lower hierarchy, whereas in Germany, it's more sort of... Uh, uh, yes, this is a clinical head, and the clinical head does uh, certain procedures which nobody else is basically sort of allowed to do or can do or something like that. And it's very much defined sort of where in this pyramid you are. Whereas in the UK, well, it's, it's also so there are some people that are just sk very skilled because uh, and, 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 and they do certain procedures. But at the end of the day, every team member counts and and uh, 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 people come to work in the morning and it's, it's Peter and John and, and, and Mary and Sue and, and not, uh, I don't know, uh, Dr. Müller on... <laughs> and, and, so I don't know, it, I found it for me, it was a more collegial environment. So I might now be really mean to my German colleagues and they would say, no, 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 it isn't like that any longer. But at the time, at least sort of it felt to me like that. I don't know. Yeah, I think I agree with you. I think for me, it, that wasn't particularly a reason for moving to the UK, but having experienced, um, you know, practical practice life in Germany, I did a few practica um, during, my, during my university days. You're right, there is definitely more of a hierarchy. And again, I think maybe back then, you know, we're talking 20 years ago, now, maybe back then it was different, maybe now, um, things have changed a little bit, but yeah, you're right. Then there was definitely a, a much sharper or much pointier hierarchy, I think, in Germany, for sure. Uh, come on now, take us to the desert. <laughs> so, <laughs> so Abu Dhabi, so you, you are there in the UK um, practicing as, I don't know, thousands of our colleagues who sort of practice in Germany. So suddenly Abu Dhabi. Abu Dhabi, was it right away, Abu Dhabi? <laughs> ah, come on, tell us your story. I, it, was, it wasn't Abu Dhabi right away. It, there was a pull to work overseas. I, I had experienced sort of different um, types of working in practice in the UK. I'd worked, you know, at a referral center. I'd worked at a university. I'd worked at lots of different general practices. Um, and I just uh, felt that I wanted a little bit of overseas experience. And I actually applied for three different jobs. One was in the Cayman Islands, which actually was my favorite. That's where I really wanted to go. Mm -hmm. uh, the second was for a feline-only practice in Hong Kong. And then the third was for a practice in Abu Dhabi. 
Um, unfortunately, the Cayman Islands job didn't happen. Um, and then I was left between Hong Kong and Abu Dhabi. And it was really sort of, I think, imagining what my life would look like in both of those places. I didn't know a lot about Abu Dhabi, but I had a feeling that Hong Kong might be quite um, built up and hustly and bustly and lots of people and small apartments and not a lot of space. And I think when I imagined that for the longer term, that then didn't seem quite so attractive anymore. Um, and to be honest with you, I didn't know really anything about Abu Dhabi. And I asked my dad, I said, Dad, I had this, I have this job offer from Abu Dhabi and, and it sounds really good. Can I go there? Is that somewhere I can go? And my dad said, yeah, Abu Dhabi, that's, you know, the United Arab Emirates, modern Middle Eastern country, up and coming, lots of opportunities, go, go and have a look. And so I came here on a, initially a three month um, trial period for another practice. And literally the moment I landed in Abu Dhabi, I fell in love with Abu Dhabi. It, I found it to be, it's beautiful. Uh, it has the beaches, it has the lovely weather. But what I really fell in love with is the sense of opportunity that um, I could really feel when I got here. Um, and so I did work for another practice for 18 months. Um, and then after 18 months, I said, no, this, this is the place I think where there is opportunity to open my own practice. And that's what I did in 2008. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And now you, you run the, it's called the German vet clinic, but it's actually, it's, it, it's a very international vet clinic, actually. So tell us a little bit more about the, the clinic, how many people work there and all sorts of nationalities. Mm -hmm. uh, well, come on. Yeah. So, yeah, we're a team of 28. Um, so we are, including myself, uh, five and a half vets now. Um, we have a really great team of nurses. So the vets, first of all, nationality wise. So we have one Spanish vet, one vet from the UK, who is our half vet, um, two, uh, sorry, and then three Eastern European vets um, with myself. Um, each of us has a special interest. None of us are specialists, although I am in the process of specializing, but we have one vet with an interest in neurology, one with ophthalmology, strong interest. Uh, one of our vets, Ivana, she is interested in, in exotics and rehab. Um, and then Dr. Costa, he's um, very interested in uh, diagnostic imaging. And I'm in the process of specializing in veterinary behavior medicine. So it, it and we all do general practice work as well. Um, but the, the fact that we each sort of have a, a strong area of interest means that we can really nicely collaborate um, on cases, which I love. Um, yeah, and then we're a, an international team of nurses. So we've got um, three, sorry, two qualified nurses from the UK, one in training. And then we have one nurse from India, NAV, and then I think four or five nurses from the Philippines, which is really quite common. They're actually, most of them are, are qualified vets in the Philippines, from the Philippines, but they come here and work as, as technicians or nurses, as we call them, um, to gain experience. Um, and then oftentimes they take that knowledge back to the Philippines again. Uh, and, and then we, sorry, sorry. No, no. <laughs> we're not finished yet. <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> the other thing that we have here in the UAE, which might be something um, that's a little bit unique, is we've got a very um, strong pet relocation team. So obviously being a, an expat hub, we have um, a lot of people that are traveling 
both to the UAE and then again away from the UAE with their pets. So we ship probably about 350 pets a year, I would say. Uh, so it's it's quite a big number and they come to us from all over the world and then they leave us again and go to all over the world. So that's something else that it's kind of a department on its own, but it's strongly integrated into the clinic as well. So you organize then also for the pet owners, sort of the technicalities, sort of the, the, the blood test, the, and then find out what is the regulation in the country they want to travel to. I mean, we have... Uh, my, my former clinic sort of was near Heathrow Airport and we had a lot of export work as well. Um, yeah. And I mean, there are companies that just lift off that and they are super busy. And it's such a minefield because uh, uh, you always need to have a look at bilateral sort of agreements and they might change it with, without any notice at the other end, I mean, you might be aware what's the situation uh, uh, getting the animals out of Abu Dhabi, but then getting them into the country on the other side uh, without you knowing it, suddenly something might have changed and then they are somewhere stuck in the middle. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so. no, absolutely. And that's what we really do well. So we have a, a dedicated team who do just the logistics side of that. Yeah. So. Um, and we're abreast all the time of any new developments and changes. Um, you know, Australia, New Zealand are sort of classic, classically difficult countries that require a lot of pre-planning. But yeah, so we do that uh, as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow, but it's sort of really nice mix. How is it with your clientele? Um, uh, uh, sort of who, uh, who, who how, how, how is that, what is the mix sort of how many experts, how many locals, has there been a change over the last few years? How's that? I think it's always been quite consistent for us that we've had the majority of our clients are expats. Um, and that's a little bit by design, I think. Um, I, yeah, I think sort of the types of vets that we have are very you know they're the types of vets that expats might be used to from their home countries um, we do have local clientele as well um, they're, they're a smaller part i think of our client base um, obviously the challenge is being an, an you know sort of an expat country or a, a, a travel hub country um, is that our client base is constantly changing you know long-standing clients that we've had for six, seven, eight years, you know, they might then leave to go back to their home country. So there's quite a lot of um, flux in terms of the client base. Um, but yeah, we see a lot of expat clients, I would say. Yeah, it was the same thing with me in the UK, where I was in the UK. I would say half of my clientele was British, half of the clientele were foreigners from all sorts of countries. And there was also then when I, when I started, or I had constantly some 10, 15% Americans, but then sort of over the years, for example, my I had a fair amount of Russian clients also who moved into the area. Um, this is how, yeah, I would assume that that would have changed now lately. So I don't know how, how, how it looks now at the, at the clinics, but there were, there were certain countries, Turkish clients, I suddenly mm. got an influx of far more uh, uh, Turkish business people who, who moved into the area. We had a period where we had a lot of Chinese clients that then declined again, sort of pretty much sort of 
uh, what sort of professionals moved into a certain area were working there? And as you said, this is in, in flux and then yeah. you have to, to adjust. But it's in any case, I found it always super interesting because then you get also a little bit more information. How is, how is veterinary sort of care at home where, where you come from? And then yeah. also the, the expectations of individual national and nationalities when they go to the vet. Some, I found some nationalities are very reluctant to leave uh, the pet at the vet clinic. Sort of, they wanted to stay with their pet all the time. Others were very insistent, sort of ideally on house calls or something mm. like that. Mm -hmm. So how is that? Do you provide that as well? House calls? Is that yeah. uh, a common thing? Yeah, over... absolutely. It is. I mean, I think we're probably one of the few clinics that does do a lot of house calls and it fits really nicely into our sort of cat friendly and fear free ethos, um, because for some pets, I, I do feel that house calls or home visits are just much less stressful um yeah there are some cats that you know really struggle to come to the veterinary clinic um or sometimes we have families you know that have seven cats or seven cats and three dogs and for those guys to bring everybody to the clinic can be quite a challenge so then we would rather go there and, and do everybody in one go um so yeah we do do that absolutely yeah yeah i found that really interesting you come in into your clinic to to start with, I thought, yeah, wow, this is. Uh, I I feel here. I mean, this is this is the same as if you go into a German or into into a nice UK clinic practice, and uh, thought, yes, yeah, I can I can see. I would feel myself at home there right away. Um, so, but then also there are all these signs. So you you are no fear. Then you are um, a, a cat friendly uh, uh, clinic, and you're also investor in people. So this is something very familiar for me from the UK, um, uh, especially sort of the cat-friendly clinic and uh, no fear. It's also, also it's an international thing, although I think often underutilized. So if a lot of practices possibly sh yeah, should sink down the way to make themselves sort of cat-friendly. How... How is the background of that with you? I mean, you said already you are interested uh, or you are specializing in uh, animal behavior. Um, uh, but how did that come about? Can you tell a little bit more about that? Yeah. Um, so I think so the first the first accreditation that we had is the ISFM gold standard cat friendly clinic. And we've been that, that since 2014. So that was quite early on. And I think there was a point in my career when I sort of realized that we're very good at taking care of the physical health of our pets, but we perhaps weren't so great at taking care of their mental and emotional health and needs. Um, and we have a lot of cats over here in the UAE, um, a lot of stray cats. You know, I've, I've always been interested in working with those sort of vulnerable populations as well. Um, and it was just something that really appealed to me when I heard about it. I thought, wow, this, this is a really great initiative. Um, and so we became cat friendly in 2014, but it's so interesting. And I say this a lot, having the piece of paper hanging on your wall doesn't automatically make you cat friendly. Yes, you have to comply with, you know, the things that, that, is, that are required to, to receive that accreditation, but it probably took us maybe another two or three years to actually become cat friendly for the whole team to sort of live that ethos and to understand what that means. 
I think we changed around the rooms in the clinic about 10 times, you know, we kept finding little things where we thought, oh, we could do this better or we could do that better. Um, so it's really an evolving process. And even now still, you know, there, there are always things that we think, wow, we can do this even more hands off or we can, you know, yeah, we just keep sort of finding other things. Um, and then I heard about the Fear Free program in probably about 2018. So that's a program that comes from the US. Um, and I, I liked it. It's very similar to the cat friendly ethos, but for all species, and it has a little bit more of a sort of whole practice feel to it. So they try and really in, include everyone from the reception team, um, you know, through the housekeeping team, everybody really is sort of tied into what it means to provide a fear-free or a stress-free experience. Um, and that's been, I think, a really great um, sort of motto to live by for all of us. And it's what it's, you know, also when we're looking for new team members, it's something that's very high on our list is how people feel about that sort of approach. Um, so yeah, and it just makes, I feel it makes our lives much easier and happier. The patients are much happier, obviously, that's the whole point. The, the clients are happier. Um, and it's really interesting to me to see as time moves on, really how you can refine these methods more and more. And, you know, when I think back to my sort of early career days where we used to, you know, pin the cats down to put the IV catheter in and yeah, we've come such a long way, I think, from those old days. Um, and yeah, it's just really, it's, it's fun and it's an interesting challenge to see, you know, how stress-free we can make things. I mean, that's, I think that everybody who has visited um, uh, a feline-only only practice, for example, can tell the difference right away. Just spend half a day in it. <laughs> I, find, <laughs> I find it very, very calming to the soul, sort of, and, and, and you certainly sort of, if, if you are stressed out, then maybe move more in that direction because it's not <laughs> only the way sort of you interact with a patient, is also it changes the whole environment in the team and yeah. so any everybody is, is i think benefiting from that mm. yeah yeah um, you also invest in people um mm -hmm. uh that's a that's a uk scheme but uh you um uh, that you can apply that also uh, abroad yeah and yeah absolutely yeah mm -hmm. so i think it's actually an internationally um, accredited scheme. So I, 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 our assessor, for example, sits in Singapore. So I do believe that it's quite an international um, accreditation. So yeah, we became investors in people, gosh, probably about just before COVID, I think, so 2019. And it was actually our business manager who, whose idea it was. He said, um, you know, he, he was sort of looking at something because we were cat friendly, we were fear free, and now we wanted to look for something that we could sort of translate to the team as well and, and he found investors in people and it's been a very very positive experience I have to say um, I think I realized you know a sort of halfway into having my own clinic how important um, having a team is who are engaged and motivated and share the same vision and the same passion um, and how really important for everything um, both the you know the economical viability the financial viability of the business but also the the whole working atmosphere how important it is to have a happy team 
Um, and so investors in people was just something that gave us an additional um, you know, set of things to look at that we could really improve um, how we looked after our team and the types of opportunities and progression opportunities that we were able to offer them as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, like, let's talk a little bit about sort of your day-to-day um, uh, -day caseload. Um, obviously, it's, it's uh, I would assume sort of mainly uh, uh, cats and dogs or feline and canine patients. Uh, how's that with exotics in, in Abu Dhabi? Do a lot of people have small furries or even sort of more exotic animals? Yeah, so our caseload is mainly dogs and cats, absolutely, but there are a number of exotics around here. Um, small furries, funnily enough, not so much. So we don't see, you know, the typical kind of UK um, rabbits and guinea pigs and hamsters. We don't see so much of those. We do see quite a few parrots. We see tortoises. Um, we see turtles. Um, we see some reptiles as well. Um, and since we have had Dr. Ivana on board, we've been seeing more of those. Um, there are many private collections here of exotic species, and they're really very exotic. So big cats and, uh, you know, other, other types of exotic animals. But they usually have either their own vets, and there are also a few exotic specialist vets in the country who tend to take care of those. So I think in, in the realms of pet, exotic pets, we see a few of them, but I would say, you know, maybe 5% of our caseload or maybe even less, something like that. Uh, we really do see a majority feline and canine patients. And then the, the sort of work, if you compare that with, say, practice in the UK or in Germany, do you have more, I don't know, how, how is that with, for example, neutering procedures? Are they as frequently done as in the UK? How is that with parasite diseases? How is that with um, how, how vaccinations? What do you vaccinate against? Uh, do you have rabies? Things like that. Take us a little bit on a journey on your day-to-day -day caseload. Yes, so I think absolutely neuterings, we perform just as much as in the UK um, or other countries in Europe. Um, we have probably more transmissible diseases, I would say. Um, so we do see quite a bit of parvo. We see, um, we've seen some distemper cases. We see FIP. We see a lot of FIV in cats. FIV is quite common here. Um, and then we see some of the sort of more exotic tick-borne diseases. So we see a lot of Ehrlichia, um, mycoplasma in cats, that sort of thing. Um, vaccines, we vaccinate against so we do DHPPIL um, and rabies. So we don't have any rabies per se, but we're not a rabies-free country. So um, we don't consider ourselves to be an island like the UK or Australia, for example. Um, so we, I haven't, in the 16 years that I've worked here, I haven't seen a case of rabies and I haven't really heard of any either. Um, but we do recommend rabies vaccines. And one of the other reasons we recommend rabies vaccines is that they are, or a rabies vaccine is required for most countries that pets travel to. Um, and we've had so many occasions where somebody has, you know, said, ah, oh, I have to travel in 30 days or in two weeks, I've lost my job, I have to leave the country, whatever it might be, um, and the pet's not ready to travel. So, um, you know, we always ask that those questions when we um, have a vaccine appointment, you know, we always ask, is there any chance you might be traveling in the next year? 
you know, and most people elect to keep their pets up to date with rabies for that reason. So, um, yeah, I mean, I think one of the differences here to especially the UK is that we don't have any specialists here. So we don't have any referral practices. We have vets that have an interest in things, but we don't have any board certified specialists here. Um, and so I guess we probably tend to see more complex cases or we tend to work up more complex cases because we don't really have the option to refer them. Mm. Um, we would potentially refer some specialist orthopedic uh, work. There are a few um, surgeons here who really like orthopedics. Um, we have a couple of clinics that have MRIs and CT scanners, so we may refer for those things. But when it comes to, I think, medical cases, skin cases, eye cases, um, we probably would work those up to a relatively high standard just because, you know, we can do it just as well as, as anybody else, I, I would say, here in the country. So that that's a little bit different, I think, especially from work in the UK where you have a lot more referral options available. I would assume pet insurance doesn't play a role in Abu Dhabi. No, no it's an, yeah, it's an interesting question. So there have been a few companies that have tried to implement a pet insurance, but for one reason or another, it's never really been successful in the way that it is in the UK, especially. So we don't uh, really have a pet insurance. Um, we're very lucky that most people who have pets here have a good disposable income. So we don't usually run into financial challenges too much. Um, but yeah, no, we don't have insurance. How is that with telemedicine? Um, uh, uh, also, uh, in a peer-to-peer -peer, um, setting, um, we were talking about sort of uh, specialist referrals. Uh, do you work together with uh, online with specialists and sometimes on some cases? Or Yeah, absolutely. So we've made use of a few online specialist groups in the UK. So uh, VVS, for example, um, Nula Summerfield's group, we, we've used those for some complex cases. Uh, we do have, uh, and we, we work sort of, I guess, in conjunction with other vets here as well. If, for example, if, if I know that, if I have a cardiac case and I know there's a vet just down the road from me who has a special interest in cardiology, then we'll often, um, you know, collaborate on those types of cases. So, we try and use vets perhaps that are in, in the country that can physically see the animal, but if not, yeah, we do. And we, we send x-rays to, to specialists, um, you know, and especially MRI, MRI scans, CT scans, we would always get a third party outside specialist uh, opinion from those. And then things like VIN, so Veterinary Information Network, I use VIN a lot. It's such a fantastic resource. Are you familiar with VIN? Yes, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah mm -hmm. so, you know, those are so, also such great resources. If you're having a complex case and you're a little bit scratching your head and you don't quite know how to, what next steps to take, then, you know, we'll often post cases on VIN and get some, um, some diplomat, international diplomat advice on that. So that's nice as well. It's just sometimes I found sort of, yeah, time, the time is, is sometimes sort of then, then working these cases up. And in my case, sort of in the UK, it was often so when I felt sort of my knowledge base is coming, hitting the buffers here a little bit, then it was often so that I thought I want to have the best for my patient. And there is an internal medicine specialist just down the road. Uh, 
rather involve this person a little bit earlier than too late. So rather than the working the case or, or doing a lot of research, it was then sometimes so that I rather sort of got up the phone and said, guys, this is a complex case that I think needs further input. Are you happy to see that one? And uh, so, and then, then, but it was always interesting then get get the refer the the, the the notes back because even with a case where you feel well it's possibly out of your league sometimes you find later it wasn't actually uh, but that's that's good sometimes it's so certainly it was and you think thank god that i sent it over so early and you learn also by it yeah um, so yeah that is uh, that's quite good how is that with medical equipment how do you get that is that difficult to get sort of into the country or to organize yeah so when i first opened the clinic yes <laughs> it was really mm. difficult there were only a very few suppliers and very limited equipment um yeah, I remember I, I got my digital x-ray machine actually from Germany and it was shipped over from Germany. I still have, have it and it's still working perfectly. Mm -hmm. But now I would say in the last five years, we have some really great um, suppliers who have a comprehensive array of veterinary specific um, instruments, machines, you know, whatever it might be, ultrasound, x-ray, dental equipment, surgical equipment, you know, what your heart desires almost. Mm. So that's something that's really changed in the last or over the period of time that I've had my clinic. Yeah. Mm -hmm. How is it? I mean, you are the founder and also the, uh, the owner of this clinic. So as a woman doing business in Abu Dhabi, how, how easy, how difficult is it sort of in general? And I don't know, can you give us one positive one negative example so that we can get an idea sort of things where we might be positively surprised things where we might think yeah I can see that this is an issue I, can you I can't I can't give you any negative examples because mm. I don't believe that being a business owner and a businesswoman here in this country is any different to being a business owner anywhere else I think um the challenges are just the same as they are anywhere else in the world. Um, but I wouldn't have said now because I'm a woman in, in an Arabic country that it was more difficult. In fact, sometimes it's been, well, no, I can't even say it, it hasn't been easier or more difficult. It's just been the exact nature I would expect to be running a business as a man or a woman anywhere in the world. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Time off. <laughs> how, how, how does that look like for you <laughs> i mean sort of uh uh i mean wh whoever sort of visits your your clinic sees that sort of how involved you are and also sort of your attention to detail to so many little points i mean it's such an yeah, amazing place but then also it is because you you take so much care uh, of uh, attention to detail but then at some point you 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 will need some downtime. So what what do you do when 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 you have some time off in Abu Dhabi? Yeah, I mean there are so many things you can do in Abu Dhabi. I actually probably am able now, 15 years later, to probably have more time off than you maybe think. Um, I think you know the first years are always the toughest. Um, 
yeah, I think from 2008 to 2012, I did not have a single day off. Um, and, you know, again, there was a period from 2015 to 2018 or 2019 that was very intense. We kind of were, you know, we were growing the practice even more. But I have a couple of amazing team members who've been with me for a long, long time. Um, and they they pay as much attention to the details as I do. So it's not all on my shoulders. But when I do have time off here, so for up until April of this year, I actually had a horse here in the UAE. Um, so that was probably one of my biggest outlets. Um, it's very convenient to travel from the UAE. So uh, in November, we did a week in Singapore. Um, there are lovely places that you can staycation here. So going to the beaches, especially in the winter when the weather's so lovely. Um, that And yeah, I, I one of the things that helps me keep the sanest is actually working out, going to the gym, um, doing physical exercise. That's something that I find um, is really important to, for my mental health and to ensure that I can actually continue being present for, for the clinic and for the team. So yeah, lots of things. But yeah, I do get a little bit more time off these days. Great, great. And if we look long, long down the road, sort of retirement, sort of where do you think you will you will end up? Will will is it likely that you might actually stay in that part of the world, or will it eventually sort of drag you back home to the UK or to Germany or other parts? of the world more adventurous yeah. I don't know. have you it's given good, that some thought yeah absolutely and it's a great question because so retirement here in the uae is not a possibility um so in terms of getting a visa i think the maximum age you can get a visa until is 65 so retirement after that is not really an option here um my sister is back in the uk now and my family are and my parents are in germany so there's always a strong pull back towards there, yeah. Um, but then there are also other countries that are really interesting. I mentioned Singapore just now, that's a, you know another country that boasts a lot of opportunities and where the veterinary market is still relatively untouched, I would say. Um, so to be honest with you, who knows? Um, it's difficult to say, yeah. Catherine, thank you so much for this amazing chat and uh, thank you for inviting us uh, into your clinic and into your world, sort of icing that has warmed the heart of uh, a lot of our colleagues. Um, if anyone of you would like to comment on this episode of Recover Vet Chat or has any suggestions for future vet chats, please email us on vetchat at recover.org or contact us uh, via our social media outlets. Um, otherwise, I hope that you're coming well through the winter. Um, don't worry, we will entertain you with some more Vet Chat episodes. Until then, goodbye and see you soon again.